Hi, everybody. Thank you for joining the Intelligent Community Call. Um, because today everybody is at Apex, um, if you haven't if you haven't looked at Apex uh, before, you should definitely register. It's happening today and tomorrow in Las Vegas and Tallinn and online. Um, I have a recorded talk there that talks a little bit about Interledger. Rihanna talks about the Interledger Foundation and where the future is going. Uh, David, the person that's doing the um, the Java bindings for Interledger, is also going to be speaking there. And then um, Stefan, the one of the co-creators of Interledger and the CEO of Coil, has uh, an open type questions uh, fireside chat in there. I think they they're taking questions from the audience. So if you have any questions um, for him, you you could you could ask them there. Um, and that's about it for Apex. Feel free to join. A lot of Interledger people are attending. Sadly, some of us are stuck in indoors and can't make it to, to Vegas. Uh, but the other topic on the agenda is Ben is joining us today, and Ben is leading Rafiki. Um, he's actually done a lot with the roadmap for Rafiki and the roadmap for phase three. And I was hoping he could give us all an update on how Rafiki is going and where Rafiki is going in the next few months. Ben? Yeah. So, yeah, I guess basically we've been um, we've been working on Rafiki for, for a while now, a uh, few months. And I guess I can start by just giving, you know, some context on like, you know, what, what was our goal when we set out to do that, where, where have we gotten so far, and then what, what are we going to do with, with phase three? So just quickly, like, you know, the initial purpose of, of Rafiki is we want to enable more features for Coil and, and others in the Interledger ecosystem to build on top of um, Interledger with. So right now, you know, Coil does streaming payments, which is is nice for, for web monetization, but there's a lot of other use cases that are in a similar space that it you can't cover with, with just, just streaming payments, like wanting to you know, tip creators, like people who want to sell subscriptions, all these sorts of things. And that's that's sort of what Rafiki sets out to to solve by by um, allowing wallet providers to include this sort of all-in-one package to replace their their current interlocutor infrastructure, which, you know, for existing wallets like Uphold or GitHub, they've sort of had to roll themselves. So by having a common package that includes, you know, everything that one can do on Interledger, like send uh, send payments, do pull payments, like recurring payments, all of that, that's uh, that would open the doors for application developers to leverage those features too. And so we're, what we've built so far has mostly been replacing the existing functionality that wallet providers have with the hope that like, you know, at, at first we can provide some value to them by replacing their sort of homebrewed um, interledger infrastructure, which, you know, they have uh, have had, had trouble at some points with like, you know, performance or, or cost. And so Rafiki has been built with, with efficiency in mind. Um, it's built on top of the Tiger Beetle database, which, does very, very fast accounting and includes logic for sort of two-phase commit-based payments like Interledger uses. And so where we started was with um, 
being able to receive to a payment pointer. So basically being able to host payment pointers through Fiki. The next thing that we built was uh, being able to send payments. So being able to just put in a payment pointer and an amount of money and send to it. And that, those were what we were considering phase one and two. Now we're, we're doing a little bit of in-between work. So like a bit of refactoring off of our learnings from building these first two phases out, as well as um, we're also um, hoping to get like a testnet deploy of Rafiki setup. And then we're gonna be moving into phase three, which is where we start to actually implement open pans and some of this, this more advanced stuff that we've been working on on the spec side for a while. A quick question, Ben. Uh, when do you feel like you're gonna, or like roughly? I know this, the timelines are always crazy to to estimate, but mm -hmm. um, when you're gonna be in the testnet? So, testnet we are targeting within. I mean, not to give a hard date because I, I think it's difficult to do that exactly. But yeah, like, exactly. You know, I think that work would probably start within within a week or two to like spin that up, and then you know, hopefully have something available. You know, at, within the timeline of like weeks to months, I, I would say, um, and and that kind of depends on how much we're making available there. Like, you know, some of this is um, like others others uh, decision. Like uh, Matt is kind of working on the the testnet portion, so it's we're kind of going to decide how how we want to make that available exactly, how people are going to interface with it, and whether there are extra things added on top of it, like other, you know, APIs or it might be front end, anything like that. So, um, uh, yeah. Janice, and, do you want to go ahead? Oh, and sorry, yeah, I just, yeah, I just want to quickly answer Oliver there. Um, it's a good question and it's one like everybody keeps asking. So I just want to temper it a little bit because current Rafiki is just like the implementation is sending and receiving for sort of like what would be implemented the wallet. So it's not really what the applications will be built on. So even if we do get the testnet running, let's say within the next two weeks, I think for a lot of the grant for the web type projects that want to build on the actual open payments APIs, those won't actually be available initially. So I, I do want to temper where we are with Rafiki on from that respect. Um, there might be an instance running, but you would still be a little bit limited in what you can do because the, the next phase, I think Ben might mention it now, but the next phase is actually starting to build out the open payments APIs on top of that. Um, the nice thing is once the testnet is running, when those get available in Rafiki, it should be a matter of deploying it and then it's available. But uh, I do think it, we're looking more likely towards the end of the year to actually have open APIs that developers can build sort of higher level applications on top of um, open payments on. Uh, uh, quick question. Yeah, Janos, uh, if you want to go first, if it's unrelated to this, or if it's uh, otherwise, I maybe no, just... No, it, it's it, it's it relates to Rafiki. Is uh, the one... Uh, do you guys hear me okay? No echo at this point? Uh, we can hear you perfectly. Okay, cool. So it, can you guys give an example about what about the transaction cost? So let's, let's say, okay, at, at the time when we have an API connected to Rafiki and somebody, let's say, has an upward wall, and uh, so it, it it's um, yeah so a ballpark number. What would be the transaction cost between uh, two persons? It's a great question. It's something we've actually been dealing with a little bit of fanboys right now. So I think the key here is like what you currently experience in current payments networks is 
for, for, for smaller payments, the, the cost becomes like exponential to where basically once you're doing a $1 payment, you're looking at like 50% for an international payment. So me as a South African, if I purchase a, like something in the US for $1, about 45 to 50 cents of that dollar will be fees. Um, as a combination to the network and to, to the providers like Stripe, et cetera. Um, when we model it currently, so if you look at Uphold currently, if you receive an Interledger payment from Coil um, to Uphold, the current processing fee is 2%. Um, and if you imagine that if you had basically fees on both sides, you're probably going to look at between 4 and 5% if, if, if wallets do do that. But the beauty about the system is whether the payment is $0.01 cent or a $1 million, it should be that same percentage wise. So I think that the fees there we are hoping, and this is what we're pushing for with, with the deployments of Rafiki, that people cap their fees at a percentage basis regardless of, of transaction size. And that means that when we start to get payments that are, are less than $5, you'll start to, to get this better effect that like you're not getting everything eaten up at fees. And like it doesn't matter if I send 100 10 cent payments or I send one $10 payments, the fee should be identical for everybody. And that, that's really what we're trying to get to. So there won't be no fees, um, but we're hoping that for initially the fees will be capped. And over time, we hope to drive those fees down to practically zero once there's more providers online. But it's a bit hard initially because we obviously, some people need to make money by deploying these things and, and, and bootstrapping the ecosystem. So how would this compete like to credit card payments? which is, let's say, around 3%. If, if the total yeah. cost is why? So a credit card, yeah, so, so it's a good question. And like, like I said, I think we've, like Rafiki is very competitive. So there's two aspects here. So on a price perspective, we think Interledge is competitive for low value payments. So anything under $5 currently, the fees are very high. So, so let's say I take a credit card payment. It's not just 3%. It's 3% plus 30 cents for most payment processes. Okay, and it's also the key here is it's not what you see, it's what the merchant sees. So like that's the tricky part. So like there's a combination of fees going on here. So like again, let me take the example of like I, I subscribe to Coil currently. Okay, so so from my Coil subscription, that's five dollars. When Coil gets that payment from me as an international card, the the, the first fee they get is the the three percent or two point nine percent with Stripe. Okay, then they get an extra thirty cents added onto that. So if you if you do the math, I think that roughly ends up started being like 30, I think it's like 30, 40 cents. Then because I'm an international customer, Stripe charge an extra fee on their side. And then I get charged an extra fee for the currency exchange from my side because I'm paying in rands, right? So, so, so my local currency is getting paid. So all in all, when I've done the calculation for a $5 payment currently on the card networks for an international payment, you're basically looking between 12 and 13% where we believe that payment for $5 will be 5% max. So already there, the fees for a $5 payment is half. Uh, th and this, this scales exponentially. I, Alex, do you mind if I share my screen quickly? I, I've actually got a great graph that, that Adrian's uh, created for this. Just give me a sec. I'm pretty sure everybody could share that screen, or I enabled that. So yeah, go ahead okay, and cool. share. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna share, share a graph for you, Yana, so you can get a better understanding, because it shows a Thank bit you. easier.
I'm just going to have to drop off because I haven't got permissions for this to share quickly. Let me just quickly uh, sort out the permissions and then I'm going to go back on in one second. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll wait for you to, to join. No worries. Wait, are you seeing my screen um, now? Yes. Oh, wait. Yes. I didn't actually have to yeah. close it. That's weird. Okay. So are you seeing now this graph that I'm showing you currently? Yes, I do. Okay, perfect. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So, so, so we took a fixed 7% fee here as a model and showed like basically above $5, those basic, what you're seeing is in, in, the, in the pink is um, typical credit card fees. And um, in the green is the sort of, if you had a fixed 7% fee. And then basically we've showed like as the, the payment goes, um, as the payment amount increases. So I'll, I'll look at it in reverse. So like at $5, you see there's a very marginal difference between the card fee and sort of a fixed 7% fee, but there is a small one. But now as you come to sort of $1, you start to see that like basically 30, 40% of this actual transaction is in fees. And if you go less than a dollar, you're basically getting everything eaten up in fees. So, so you can see like, as you get to anything below $5, this thing scales. Um, and the, this, like you can see the effect here very quickly. Like as you go below $5 for a payment, which is what is happening with a lot of sort of like content type of um, interactions, the, the, the merchant or the creator is actually losing a lot to, to fees. Uh, and we want to make it that people are actually not getting sort of like completely ripped off with this. And that, this is a, across all card networks currently. And actually most payment networks basically scale really badly for smaller fees because they have fixed, fixed transaction costs with their legacy systems that they can't actually get around. So it would be very hard for them to actually remove that um, restriction on their current uh, structure. And this 5% fee, like 7% fee here, but we believe that should go down to say, uh, two, two, three percent in the long term for any size payment. D does that help uh, answer your question, Yanis? Yes, it, it does. Uh, and, and I would like to be up to date on it as much as possible. I don't know how uh, that will be. I mean, we are strongly counting on you guys to have a Rafiki rolling, and as soon as it's something accessible to API, we are planning to open it. Thanks, yeah. thanks for that, Janos and, yeah. and Matt. Uh, I think Oliver had another question, and he's been waiting for a while. Was it for, for Matt or was it for Ben? Because ben, ben just dropped. I'm hoping Ben comes back, but uh, Ben just dropped. There he is, just in time. Yes. <laughs> it's actually for both. It's, uh, for me, the, the question is, again, on the timeline, um, when you say that um, the payment APIs will be available towards the end of the year, which is totally fine. Like there's no like rush on it. Mm, wh what is the use cases that are already implementable on our side then? Like, again, I don't expect like that, that everything is like that your time estimation is, is right or so. It's more like the sequence of things that happen so whenever um, like it's usable uh, for projects, uh, what we're looking for in particular is that we can implement subscriptions and tipping, first subscriptions and then tipping in terms of priorities for us. And so the question is when these payment APIs are available, would that use case already be possible or? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, so tipping, I, I, I think that one would be served first with the, the open payments stuff that we're we're creating. So that would the, the sort of flow that we're targeting for phase three, what we want to come out of that with is the ability for you know this a merchant 
or application developer to basically put this, put some button on their website that a user could interact with. And if that user has an ILP enabled wallet, which is to say like a, a wallet that has uh, Rafiki running, then that, that user should be able to go through a flow to authorize a payment to be sent to the merchant. So like that would cover tipping, that covers uh, checkout, that sort of thing. And, and it also creates this very, very generic flow of like, you know, merchant or application developer requests money, and then user can approve that. And then it goes back to the merchant with an authorization for them to actually pull that money over um, by, by sending an API call to the user's wallet. And so what um, that enables in, in futures is we can expand that to make that authorization long lived. It can be able to pull money every month or we can add enhancements like, you know, maybe there's not, maybe you don't have to pull that money with a single uh, payment or even a payment every month that you can just connect and send interledger packets directly. Um, or maybe there's data that you can pull in addition to that money. If you want to build a third party wallet client, you could pull transaction history and ask for access to that. So it's sort of this, this primitive that we're creating of, of third party access that's going to be applicable to um, a lot more features in the future. But what we're starting with is just an authorization to pull a specific amount of money once. Is that also um, gonna, um, like when you say only pro, uh, wallets that support Rafiki at that point will be like actually usable by users in the end, uh, which uh, wallets are first gonna be implemented? Is Coil gonna support it relatively soon? Because Coil, Coil is a great UX in, in kind of the onboarding process and the way like it works, but obviously their kind of fee model or their I'm not sure if it's a business model, but like they're, they're, the way they they sell things to the users is very limited to those five bucks. And obviously, if we're thinking about subscriptions and you have to top up stuff and you like uh, it, that model j just doesn't work anymore because if a user has like four or five subscriptions, then they're easily over five dollars easily. Right. And so uh, that doesn't work anymore. So the question is, if that's not the wallet that may not, if that's not the wallet that may be using Rafiki, which ones are right now for you in tight collaboration, where I should have a look at in terms of the way they work, et cetera, where this mm -hmm. is probably for first. Yeah, so, I mean, with Coil, we do want to expand in that direction, like allow users to support beyond the $5 a month that they're putting into their subscription. Um, but yeah, that, that probably isn't something that, you know, right when we, implement that code. Like the, the timeline for the end of the year is basically to have this, this code complete in Rafiki where it would also at that point be on, on a test net. But um, of course, wallets have their own resourcing and timelines and stuff. So maybe um, there might be some that, that Matt could speak to that. Um, but, you know, the current people on the network like GitHub Uphold, we would be kind of having conversations with them about hopefully getting on Rafiki whenever is possible. Yeah, and, and just to expand on that, like the 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 reason. Okay, so so there's two aspects here. The first aspect is like the technical stuff, and the second aspect is non-technical, which is more to say um, to 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 work within the compliance frameworks. 
Um, so, so like we've tried to go very much different to sort of like the, the sort of like you would say the traditional crypto route where you basically just do what you need to do and like sort of work within sort of a gray area um, because we actually want to basically compete with current modern payments networks. We very much want to be licensed and work with licensed operators, which does slow things down. Um, but it does mean that like once it's working, there's no um, ambiguity about whether it's fine to use. It, it, it will be fine to use. So, so the current interledger network with um, payments happening right now is Coil, Uphold, and GitHub. Um, obviously, the only sending on the network currently is Coil. Um, I can tell you in the Famous office, like every single day, our goal is to try and make sending ubiquitous across the whole network. So, so like that's something we're actively working on and, and trying to enable. And, and again, like I think the, the key here is like Coil definitely wants to be in that space and, and allow you to, to operate there. So it's just a matter of it's a matter of when, not if. Um, and again, it's, it's, it, the big hurdles at the moment are actually not technical hurdles. They're just compliance hurdles, making sure we're working with um, that sort of within the regulation framework to make sure everything is, is, is legally done. And, and again, Oliver, I think like the easiest would be initially we want to offer like what you say, like a testnet sandbox where you can build your applications out so that once those like you can do the, the grunt work initially and then hopefully the compliance stuff will catch up. And once you've sort of integrated with it, you, you'll be ready then when, when um, the network is more ready for those use cases. Thank you for that, both of you. I feel like we kind of took it away from Ben there for a second. Ben, um, I know we talked about where internet, uh, where, where Rafiki is and um, where kind of sort of we're going. If you have more to add to, to where we're going and especially how mandates and, and invoices would work, we'd love to hear that as well. Um, and maybe why we're, or if or not, we're gonna support third party apps in phase three and stuff like that. Like talk a little bit more about phase three. Yeah, so I think I did uh, kind of cover essentially the scope of it, which is, you know, that that flow I described of, of we want to we want to enable uh, a checkout flow that's going to involve third party authorization for uh, a merchant to to pull a payment from Rafiki, um, and I think that's really, yeah, that that's really the core of it. There's a few components to it though that I think could be broken down in a little more specificity that I didn't necessarily go into detail on yet, where um, in order to make this work on the web, there's some, some things that we're going to have to do. Basically, we want, if, if, we, if we're going to build this, this open payments functionality, we want it to work with any wallet that a user might have. And that means wallets that maybe the merchant who, who is going to get paid has never heard of. Um, it means wallets that that don't exist right now when we're in inventing this. So that, that means it needs to basically be sort of pluggable into, into new wallets. And so the way that we're, we're currently gonna do that, it's, it's a little tricky just given the way that browsers work. Like we can't, um, we can't necessarily put in like an iframe into the page. Like we can't necessarily access third-party storage or like like store something in the browser that any site can read. Like that the the funny thing is that's kind of what advertisement networks like to do because they wanna they wanna store something in your browser that says you know things about about your interests 
to target ads. And so browser vendors have sort of pushed back against features that enable that. Um, and so that means we need to take a, 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 it's a, it's a slightly more difficult route for us to, to have the browser remember who is your interledger wallet. Um, but it is possible. And the way we're probably going to do it is have sort of a neutral domain. So like, you know, maybe something like, like interledger.org for instance, or some neutrally controlled domain where you can basically, when you, when you click a button to pay with interledger, you go to this domain and you can, um, you can select your wallet provider and it will remember who your wallet provider is. Um, and if you're on your wallet provider, they'll, they'll save that information to the neutral domain. So we call this the mediator. And basically that's, that's what's going to allow this to work with um, any, any wallet while being a web-based um, checkout flow. So that's sort, of, that's sort of one component we'll have to build. Um, also adding the concept of, on the Rafiki end, adding a, a front end. So the ability for you know, Rafiki to show these payment details and allow you to confirm that payment. Um, that's another thing that's being built as part of phase three, because currently Rafiki doesn't have any, any front end yet. So that's kind of a new thing that's going to be added. Um, and then in the back end of Rafiki, we're going to have to add the concept of a, of a mandate. So that's the, the open payments mandate, which is basically basically represents an authorization for somebody to pull funds. And we're going to also be expanding the functionality of invoicing so that a merchant can create an invoice and check when it's been filled. So basically the, the flow for them would be, you know, they, they direct the user to approve a payment and get an authorization in return to pull some money. So that's very similar to, you know, if you were to have a, a, a merchant today who uses credit cards, you know, they, they have a user fill out their credit card information and that's effectively in their hands an authorization to pull money. So in, in this case, we have the user for, for the Rafiki case, they go through a consent flow to return that, that authorization to the, um, to the merchant, although it's a more, more secure authorization in that it's just a, just a token that would be authorized to pull a specific amount of money from the user's wallet. And then that merchant is going to create an invoice in their own wallet. So they're going to say, you know, create an invoice for, for $5 so that they can tell when money has been paid. And then they'll submit that invoice to the authorization that they got to say to the user's wallet to please pay this money. And then they can check at their own wallet that the money was received and the invoice has been filled. And then at that point, the payments complete. So that's sort of a more detailed breakdown of, of what exactly all the components are of what we're building. Um, but yeah, that, that's that's pretty much the scope of what we're going for in, in phase three. So if I understand correctly, phase phase two is making the base infrastructure work uh, on the actual payments. And then phase three is to do all of the kind of um, accounting management stuff. So phase two, yeah, was just um, basically having the ability to send money to a specific wallet. But the way that it was built out um, in phase two was just as simple as we possibly could, where it's just, you know, provide the 
the payment pointer of the wallet and provide the amount to send. And, and yeah, with phase three, now we're building all these, um, all these flows on top of it to let you do more useful things with it. Like, yeah, all the, all the sort of authorization, all of the, um, yeah, sort of metadata and, and accounting there. So yeah, that, that's, that's sort of the difference between those two versions of sending. Great. Thank you. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Matt. I think this was the most engaging, the most engaging community call we've had uh, in a long while. Thank you so much. Um, I don't have any other topics for the agenda. Uh, Matt, do you want to provide a Finboss update or is, I think Adrian isn't joining yet. Do you want to wanna give um, kind of a small Finboss update? Yeah, Adrian's not going to join. He's on a meeting. Um, there's not much to share quite yet. Um, a lot of the stuff's still sort of confidential, so I can't share much more than we've shared so far. Uh, but do, like, do know, like I said, we, we're working really hard to try and unlock this uh, ecosystem a bit more. So I'm hoping in the next couple of weeks we can share some more, but right now it's still, still, still lips, lips a bit closed. <laughs> Okay, that's that's fair. Thank you so much, and thanks for 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 being in the call. Right, so um, we don't have any other agenda items. If anyone that joined the call wants to share a little bit about the project or has anything they want to bring up to to the call, this would be a, a really good time to do so. Okay, going once, going twice. I guess that was it for today. Thank you, folks. I'll see you again in a couple of weeks. Uh, I'll put up the recording on SoundCloud. It was really nice chatting to you all. Thank you so much for joining the community call. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye, Alex. folks. Have a good Thank evening you. or day, whatever. Ciao. <laughs> Bye.